Good morning. My name is Eddie, and Diane and I are thrilled to be here this morning. Bienvenidos, hermanos y hermanas. Su iglesia es mi iglesia, y mi iglesia es su iglesia. Diane and I have been in uh, Kansas City for four months now, and uh, this is actually a very good weekend for us, because the first four months, we lived out of a couple of suitcases each, which was a very interesting challenge for us. But a little over a week ago, we moved into our home, and this has been thrilling, uh, amazing. And then this weekend, well, we have two sons, and our son Jeff is married to Brittany. They live in Mount Vernon, Ohio. Our son Josh lives in Columbus, Ohio, and this weekend, he proposed to Courtney, and she said yes. <laughs> this is very good news for us. We're thrilled to be here. Uh, Serving the Kansas City District, I have the privilege of being in a different church every Sunday morning. And so it's, um, it's kind of like opening a Christmas present every Sunday morning. You're wondering, what's this going to be like? What's this experience going to be like? And Diane and I pl usually play this game on Sundays where we, we attend church and then we have a conversation on the way, on the way home. Would we regularly attend that church? And this morning, we pull in the parking lot, and Diane says, I would definitely <laughs> come to this church. And we met with uh, your pastor and staff for prayer before the service, and she looks at me again and said, we would definitely come here. Appreciate Pastor Jake and Jenny and their team. Just have a sense this morning that you are blessed by his leadership. And I'm very aware that our district is blessed to have him on the team. So thanks for the invitation. Thanks for the privilege of, of being here. Um, it is a privilege. You having a good day? I get a sense this morning that this is a good place to be, that you love Jesus, that you love each other, and uh, that's a good thing in a church for people to love Jesus and to love each other. And it shows. It shows. As we, as, well, as I go into a church on Sunday mornings, uh, usually it's a new space for me, and I'm trying to figure out what's, what's this like. And it's interesting, the architecture of Churches of the Nazarene, that invariably you walk into a Church of the Nazarene, you're either going to see chairs or pews. Uh, you may or may not see a pulpit. You may or may not see a communion table that's prominent. But in 99 out of 100 churches, you're going to see an altar somewhere. You're going to see an altar, and, and they take many different forms. Around the world, I've seen altars that were made out of concrete blocks. I've seen them made out of, uh, like, fruit cartons that were laid end to end. I've seen rough-hewn wood, uh, and then you have these beautiful altars this morning. I'm going to talk a little bit about altars, uh, because I think altars are very important in the life of a church and in the life of a believer. So the very first altar that's talked about in the Bible was built by a guy who's famous for building something else. His name was Noah. And of course, Noah was famous for building the ark. But after Noah built the ark, he built an altar. And we read about that in Genesis chapter uh, 8 and verse 20. 
And this is that verse. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. Interesting to me that Noah builds an altar. It's interesting because you know how long it took him to build the ark? It took 120 years for Noah to build the ark. Now, as a pastor, I was involved in four building programs, and every one of them felt like 120 years. (laughs) Of course, it wasn't, but 120 years to build an ark. And then the flood comes, and Noah and his family are saved, and when the waters recede, When Noah gets off the ark, the first thing he does is build an altar. You would think the last thing Noah wanted to do was pick up a hammer and a saw again. But that's what Noah does. And he builds this altar as a place of gratitude and thanksgiving. So Diane and I, we grew up in this sleepy little river town in West Virginia. And the Church of the Nazarene in that community was was a pretty strong church. We were blessed. Uh, by our home church. And uh, the pastors that we had, they preached it hot and heavy. I mean hot. And so it was, not, uh, it was not unusual at the end of a sermon for the pastor to have everybody stand and bow their heads and close their eyes and there would be a song sung and the pastor would invite people to come to the altar. Now, as a kid, it, it strikes me that there was a stigma attached to the altar during those days. And the stigma was that the altar was seen primarily as a place for repentance or for you to confess your sins. There wasn't the kind of broad view that we have of the altar today, that it is a place of grace. Wherever you are in your journey, it's a place of grace. But in that time and place, it seems to me that there was a stigma attached to the altar. So as a child, When I would stand and bow my head and close my eyes and the invitation would be given, I liked to peek. I wanted to see, is anybody going to step out and go down to the altar? And invariably they did. And when they did, in my small little mind, I would think, I wonder what they did that was so bad. That here in front of God and everybody, they've got to say, God, I am sorry for what I did. It was just just kind of fascinating to me. Until the Sunday night as a child, I knew in my heart that that altar was for me. It's interesting when Noah builds this altar, because he builds this altar after he was saved. After he and his family had been saved on the ark, Noah builds this altar, and he builds it as a place to say thank you to God for saving him. That's just amazing to me because I think one of the things that signals to me is that if everybody in the world were saved, they're not. That's why our mission is so important. But if everyone in the world were saved, we would still need altars as a place for us to say, God, I just want to thank you for saving me. I don't ever want to forget that I was lost and headed for hell, and had it not been for your grace and the blood of Jesus Christ, I'd still be lost. So I don't know how long you've been saved this morning, five months, five years, 50 years. 
But let's ne never get to the place where we're not grateful for what God's grace has done for us. And I think occasionally we need to just bow at an altar and remember, God, I was lost, but now I'm found because of your grace. And I just want to say thank you for your grace. That's the only altar that Noah builds that we know about. But there's a man in Genesis who builds several altars. His name is Abraham. And it's almost as though you can trace Abraham's spiritual journey by the altars that he builds. So Abraham is 75 years old. And he's living in a place called Haran. When one day God comes to him and says, Abraham, I want to bless you. And I want to make you the father of a mighty nation. Now, now that got Abraham's attention. Because Abraham and Sarah were childless. They had no children. Abraham is a rich man. He has many possessions. By the way, I think there's a correlation there. No children and being rich. <laughs> children and not being rich. I think there's a correlation there. But God comes to Abraham and says, I want to bless you. And in order for me to bless you, you need to be, be obedient. And so I want you to go where I'm calling you to go. And I'm not going to tell you exactly where you're going. I'm just going to generally point you in the right direction. And I want you to obey me and be faithful to me. I don't know about you, but I, I like my GPS. Coming to church this morning, I liked my GPS. I like knowing where I'm going. I like knowing how to get there. I like knowing when I get there. Abraham's great faith called for him to step out and be obedient even though God hadn't given him the details. So in Hebrews chapter 11 we read, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. I think there are times in our lives when God calls us, expects us to be faithful and obedient even though we don't know the details or even though we don't know exactly what the destination will look like. We know that he's calling us on this journey and he's calling us to be obedient. This isn't the first time Diane and I have lived in Kansas City. We moved to Kansas City six weeks after we were married. So I, I had graduated from college, and when I graduated from college, everybody said, Eddie, you need to go to Nazarene Theological Seminary. And I thought I really did need to do that, but first I needed to marry Diane. And Diane was still in high school. She, she, would, she would want you to know that she's significantly younger than me. <laughs> so I worked on staff at a church for a couple of years, and then Diane and I got married, and we moved to Kansas City. We had not been in Kansas City before. And so we were, we were beginning this journey in West Virginia. And we didn't have a lot of money. Uh, we had no credit cards. I don't know that we had a checkbook. We had about $800 in cash. People had given us, they'd been kind at our wedding to give us cash because they knew we were going to be moving. And so we had about $800 to our name. 
And with that $800, we needed to pay for our U-Haul, and we needed to uh, pay for our way here, and we needed to put a deposit down on an apartment, and we needed to feed ourselves until we got jobs. $800. The day before we left, one of the guys, uh, a friend of mine at church, gave me a handful of McDonald's coupons. This was the summer of 1984, and the Olympics were going on. And McDonald's was having this promotion. They've never done it like this before. I think they took a bath on this promotion. Uh, the promotion was you had these cards, and you would scratch them off, and it would, uh, it would reveal an Olympic event. And then you would go into a lobby at a McDonald's, and you, they'd have a display there with all the Olympic events and uh, where the United States scored in those events. So if you had, say, you had, uh, oh, I don't know, a hundred, hundred meter dash, and you matched it up with with the car with the display. If the United States won a gold medal, you got a Big Mac with that coupon. If they won a silver medal, you got a fries, and if they won a bronze medal, you got a Coke. And that's how it worked. So we start this journey uh, from West Virginia to Kansas City in our little U-Haul, pulling our car on a Thursday morning. Our parents gather around us, kind of pat us on the head, say a prayer for us, and send us off. I still can't believe they did that. If, if that had been their grandchildren, I'm sure they wouldn't have done that. But they pat us on the head, send us off. And uh, we start this great adventure with $800 and a handful of McDonald's coupons, knowing that God has called us to do this, but not knowing what it's going to look like. So we hit I-70, this was before the days of GPS. And, and kind of the plan was you hit I-70 and you travel west until you smell the barbecue. <laughs> then you know you're there. And uh, so it's lunchtime and we're somewhere between Columbus and Dayton, Ohio. And we're looking for a McDonald's. And we walk in and I've got this handful of coupons. And I'm trying to figure out how does this work. Will they let me redeem one or will they let me redeem three? Can I redeem three and Diane redeem three? How, how does this work? And so we, we're kind of matching them up. And I walk up to the register and I ask the person, how does this work? Can I redeem three and, and my wife redeem three? And the guy says, yeah, you can, redeem, you can redeem three. So I redeem a Big Mac, a fries, and a Sprite. And Diane right behind me, Big Mac, fries, and a Sprite. And we thought, well, this is pretty sweet. And then when we get our stuff, we get more coupons with the stuff. So this is a great deal. And so we eat, and this is great, and we haven't spent any money yet. And we're making our way, and now we're back on 70, and we're traveling through Indianapolis, and, and we're into Illinois, and we're looking for the double arches. And we find McDonald's, we'd go in and we'd do the exact same thing again. So this is great. And so... Uh, we find a little cheap motel to spend the night in, kind of a flea-ridden place, and, and it doesn't cost a whole lot of money. We didn't get a good night's sleep, but it doesn't cost a whole lot of money. We wake up the next morning, they got these little cellophane, like bear claw things for breakfast, and this was back in a season where I could eat stuff like that. And, uh, it's just, you know, this is wonderful, and, and we're traveling across Illinois, and now we're now into Missouri, and we do the same thing for lunch, and now it's Friday afternoon, and we're pulling up on the parking lot of Nazarene Theological Seminary, and the only money we've spent is for gas and for, um, 
what else did we spend money? Oh, and for the hotel. And, and so the $800, we, you know, we've, we've not really taken a dent into that. And I walk into the registrar's office at Nazarene Theological Seminary on Friday afternoon. And I told him I'm here to register for seminary. Well, he says, what's your name? And I tell him my name, and he goes over to his file cabinet, and he's looking through, and he says, we, we don't have your registration. And I said, I know, that's, that's why I'm here, to register. He said, well, do you know classes start Monday morning? I said, yeah, that's why I'm here on Friday afternoon, to <laughs> register. So he says, well, we'll need to do the paperwork. And so he starts filling it out, name, address. Hmm, don't, don't know, don't know. Okay, employment. Hmm. Don't, don't know. Don't know. Well, I, you know, you can kind of see that his mind's working. And, and he says, uh, do you have a deposit for the classes? Well, yeah, I've got some money left. Well, let's go ahead and take care of your deposit, he says. I know what he's thinking. Let's get some money out of this guy while he has some money. Because he's probably not going to have money after this. So, so I pay the deposit thinking... This was the money we were going to spend on a motel this weekend until we can find an apartment. And so I give him the money, and, and he says, by the way, where are you staying this weekend? Well, I, I was hoping you would give me a suggestion. Well, he said, we've got this arrangement with uh, the King Conference Center. Then anybody coming to Kansas City like you to attend seminary will put you up for a couple of nights for free. Well, this is sounding better. By Monday afternoon, Diane had a job, Eddie had a job, we had found an apartment and we'd put a deposit down on it, and we had been reminded that whenever God calls you to do something, if you'll be faithful and obedient, He will make a way for you. This is what Abraham discovers when he begins this journey that God has called him to, not giving him all the details. Not even telling him the destination. Just saying, Abraham, will you be obedient and faithful and do what I've called you to do? So Abraham starts this journey, and it's not long before God appears to him again and says, I just want to remind you, Abraham, I am with you, and I'm going to bless you. And Abraham builds his first altar. It's in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 7, and it reads like this. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. This is in Shechem. I think there are times in our spiritual journey where we need to visit an altar just to say, God, I want to thank you for being with me on the journey. I've been following you. I've been, I've been trying to be obedient. I've not known what this was going to look like, but I know you are with me and that you are blessing me and that you are empowering me and that you are providing for me. And I have a sense this morning that, that in this room, there are people this week, this very week, you have seen God do an amazing thing in answer to a prayer, in answer to a need. God's shown up, and it, and it may not have looked like what you thought it would look like, but it was God. And he was proving that he has his eye on you and that he loves you and that he's going to take care of you. So Abraham leaves Shechem, chapter 12 and verse 7, and it's interesting that the very next altar that he builds is in the very next verse. Chapter 12 and verse 8. 
From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abraham doesn't go very far in his journey. Like from, from Shechem to Bethel is like 20 miles. He doesn't go far in his journey before he's visiting another altar. He's building another altar. And it's as though Abraham is saying to God, I do not want to get far from your presence. I want to be very close to you. I want, this, I want there to be this sense that you are with me and that I am with you and that you're blessing me. I want to stay close to you, God. Do you want to stay close to God? Let me ask it a different way. Has there ever been a time in your spiritual journey when, when you sensed that you were closer to God than you are this morning? If there is, if there has been, then it's not God that has moved from you. And, and sometimes it, it's not enough just to stay still and think that you're going to stay close to God because God is always moving us forward. He's always wanting us to, to step forward in faith, to be courageous. He's always moving ahead of us, and we have to move with him to stay close to him. So one, one of my favorite stories is about, um, it's about an old monk, a church father. This was centuries ago, who was giving his life in a passionate pursuit of God. He, he, had, he had chosen to give himself to a life of prayer, and so he left the city and went out into the wilderness to follow God. And, and he, he was well known because he was a man of prayer. Very well known. One day a young man from the city came out to meet this old church father. And he, and he said, sir, I have a question for you. Why is it that so many young men leave the city to come out to follow God in this passionate pursuit of prayer. But they soon give up on this pursuit and they... They come back to their old lifestyle. They come back to the city. And the old church father said, son, I want to tell you a story. He said, last night about dusk, my old hound dog saw a rabbit hop under some brush. And my dog began to chase that rabbit. And as he chased that rabbit, he began to bark. And his barking attracted the attention of other dogs who joined in the hunt chasing the rabbit. Until middle of the night... There was a large pack of dogs chasing this rabbit. But as the sun came up, the dogs began to grow weary, tired of the chase. And they began to drop out of the hunt one after another until this morning there was only one dog chasing the rabbit, my dog. And the old monk said, uh, young man, do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? And the young man said, sir, I have no idea what you're trying to tell me. And the old monk said, well, it's just this. My dog continued to chase the rabbit because my dog saw the rabbit. The other dogs, they just heard my dog's excitement. I think there are people who get excited about somebody else's excitement. 
they hear somebody else's story of God or somebody else's story of transformation in Jesus Christ, and they get very excited about that person's excitement. But that usually doesn't last very long. Let me tell you what does last. When you experience God yourself, when you taste of the sweetness of God, you want more of it. You want to be closer to that. This morning, the prayer for the, for the students going to church camp, I love that. First of all, I love there are so many students from this church going to church camp. But I especially love the support that they're receiving from this church. And I know many of us this week are going to be praying for them. So I went to the altar as a child because I had this sense of guilt and I knew I needed to be forgiven. But my first real experience with God that I will never forget happened when I was a student at youth camp. It was the summer of my 15th year. Thursday night, church camp, Somerville, West Virginia. I don't remember what the sermon was. I just remember at the end of the sermon, the the preacher gave an invitation, and I knew I needed to go to the altar. I knew it. You know what that feels like. You know it. And the thing was, I couldn't figure out why I needed to go to the altar, because I'd been to the altar the night before. And I'd I'd prayed that everything would be forgiven. And and how much trouble can you get in in a day at church camp? Well, actually, you can probably get in a good bit of trouble. But I hadn't that day. And so I'm trying to figure out, why do I need to go to the altar? I went yesterday. But I knew I needed to go. And when I went forward and knelt, it was when I knelt that I knew why. That's when God called me to be a preacher. We didn't have preachers in my family. That hadn't even been on my radar. Fifteen years of age, I wanted to be a secret service agent. That's what I wanted. But God said, I want you to be a preacher of the gospel, a pastor. And I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, I knew it. So I've had reason to doubt faith many times since that night, but I have never, never doubted that God called me that night. It was just that real. I know why Abraham would build an altar 20 miles later. Because he wanted to stay close to that. He wanted to be close to God. He wanted this sense of God's presence in his life. And so this morning we have an altar. And if there's ever been a time in your spiritual journey when you felt closer to God than you are this morning... Well, you can bring that up to date this morning. You can draw closer to God this morning. Abraham builds a lot more journeys, but I've preached about long enough, so let me just take you through the last altar that he builds in his journey. And it's in chapter 22 and verse 9 of Genesis. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. So when Abraham begins this journey, you remember what God promises him? 75 years of age, God promises him, you're going to be the father of a mighty nation, even though you don't have any children. You're going to be the father of a mighty nation. 
And when Abraham's 100 and Sarah's 90, they have this child, this son, Isaac, who becomes the child of the promise, the best thing that ever happened to Abraham, Isaac. And now God is saying, Abraham, this gift that I've given you, Isaac, this blessing that I've given you, Isaac, I want you to give him back to me. I want to make sure that that any gift that I've given you hasn't become more important to you than me, the giver of the gift. And so Abraham builds an altar to give back to God the son that God gave him. It's an altar of complete submission, complete sacrifice, complete obedience. We believe in the church of the Nazarene that in our spiritual journey, God brings us to a point where he asks of us everything, that there is nothing we would hold back from him, that we give ourselves to him completely. Early in our journey, God says, why don't you give me your sin and guilt and I'll forgive you and I'll make you my child. And it's, it's good to be able to give that junk to God. But there comes a time in our journey when God says, you trusted me with the junk, now will you trust me with everything, even the good stuff, all of the good stuff? Will you trust me with everything? Abraham's at that point in his spiritual journey, and he needs an altar to do that. And you don't need an altar in front of a church to do that, but we have an altar in front of a church this morning, and it may be that you're at a place in your spiritual journey where God has said, do you trust me enough to give me everything? Because if you will give me everything, I will take your life and I will fill it with my grace and with my spirit, and I'll empower you to live your life in a way that pleases me and in a way that makes an incredible difference in this world because you'll be living the spirit-filled life. And it may be this morning that you need to visit that altar. Seems like about every spiritual, every significant spiritual event in my life has taken place at an altar. I was born on a Sunday, but on the next Sunday, my mom and dad held me in front of an altar and dedicated me to the Lord. As a child, I knelt at an altar and invited Jesus Christ into my life. At an altar, I knelt and was called into the ministry, and at that very same altar, 15 years later, I was ordained a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I proposed to Diane at an altar. And at the same altar, we were married a couple of years later. Actually, I proposed at an altar because if she said yes, I wanted to rejoice. And if she said no, I thought I would need an altar. (laughs) We dedicated our two boys to the Lord at an altar. And at altars across West Virginia and South Carolina and in my ministry in Ohio and Kentucky and now at altars... I hope across Kansas City, my life will be marked, my journey will be marked by the ways I have experienced God's grace. And I wonder this morning if you would like to visit an altar and experience God's grace. Maybe you need a place to say, God, I don't ever want to forget that I was lost, but you saved me. 
thank you. And by the way, Lord, there are people in my life that I love and that I care about who also need to experience that grace. And I want to pray for them this morning. Or maybe you're reminded this morning that on the journey, God is with you. And he's been blessing you and you want to say thank you to him for being with you on the journey. Or maybe you just want to draw close to him. Or maybe this is the morning God's calling you to give yourself completely to him. We have an altar for you to do that. And in a moment, I'm going to invite you just to, just to bow your heads. Not even to stand, just to bow your heads. And I'm going to invite anybody who would like to come to use this altar. And if this altar fills up, it probably will. We'll, we'll kind of sanctify the, the chairs that are open on the front row that you can kneel at. Or if you need to sit, you can sit at one of these chairs and use them as an altar this morning. But I would like the privilege of praying for you as you visit an altar. Would you bow your heads? Anyone like to come and use an altar this morning? I invite you to slip out right now. I'd love to pray with you. Love to pray for you. Good. Good. Thank you, Lord. Anyone the Lord saying, I'd really like to, for you to visit that altar this morning. I have some grace for you. Anybody else? Good. We'll pause just another minute before we pray. Anyone else? Lord, we sure do love you this morning. We're so grateful that you love us and care about us and that your grace flows into our lives in surprising, wonderful, creative ways. Thank you for loving us and for sending your son Jesus to be our Savior. Thank you that your grace compels you, impels you, propels you to always take the first step that you're always the one reaching out to us before we're ever even aware that we can reach back to you, you're already reaching out to us. Thank you for taking the initiative to be our saving God, our redeeming God. And we want to remember this morning that we are saved by your grace and that we are only saved by your grace. It's not our good works. It's not anything we've done. It's all on you. And so you're the one we say thank you to this morning for saving us. Thank you for this great journey of faith, this great adventure of faith on which you call us, and for the fact that, that it stretches us, that the call to be obedient always stretches us, brings us out of our comfort zone, but you are always faithful to supply just what we need, just when we need it. And so we celebrate and pray with those this morning who are saying, God, I just want to thank you for being with me on the journey. Thank you for having a plan for my life that, that is far better than any plan I would have had. Thank you for the way you're with me, even today on this journey. I pray with those and for those who, who may find themselves somehow separated, not, not quite as close to you as they've been in the past, and they recognize that this morning, and they, 
They want to draw back closer to you. They want to sense your presence. They want to know your favor. They want to know that you're with them, guiding them, directing them. They love you so much, and they're so grateful for what you've done. They don't, they don't ever want to get far from you. Thank you for your many promises of grace in your word and for the constant reminder that, that you give to your children, I am with you. I am with you always to the very end of the age. Lo, I am with you. For those seasons where your grace is especially present in our lives and we sense your nearness, we give you thanks. And then, Father, for those this morning who may find themselves at an altar of sanctification where they've come to the place in their spiritual journey where they know that you're calling them to give everything to you, to surrender themselves. And, and so it's not necessarily an Isaac that they're placing on the altar. It's themselves they're placing on the altar. The kind of living sacrifice. They've become a living sacrifice that Paul wrote about. Something that surrendered completely to you, but is a living sacrifice so that you can day by day fill with your presence and empower us to be the people that you've called us to be and that down deep in our hearts we really want to be. Thank you for giving us your spirit, for filling us with your spirit and enabling us to be the people of God, the people you've called us to be. Thank you for this altar in this church. And I pray, Lord, that this will continue to be a place of grace, even as it's been this whole service today. May this place of grace mark life after life, the spiritual journey of believers. May it be a place of grace where landmark, that becomes a landmark place in spiritual journeys. Thank you for Pastor Jake and Jenny. Continue to bless them and their leadership in this place. I pray this prayer in the strong name of Jesus Christ. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.